We're going to go to Nehemiah chapter 7. Nehemiah chapter 7. A revival meeting starts in four weeks. And I'm praying for revival. I believe we need revival. I believe after the things we've been through in the past 90 days that we could all use a little something from God, for sure. So we got Nehemiah chapter 7. It's only 73 verses. <laughs> some of you found that funny and some of you did not. We're just going to read the first three verses and there's a sigh of relief. And then we're going to go to chapter number 8 and read a few verses over there. And then if you'll leave your Bible open, we're going to, well, mostly out of chapter 8. But we're going to start here in Nehemiah chapter 7. Nehemiah chapter 7, verse number 1. Now it came to pass when the wall was built, and I had set up the doors, and the porters and the singers and the Levites were appointed, that I gave my brother Hanani, and Hananiah, the ruler of the palace, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a faithful man and feared God above many. And I said unto them, Let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sunny sun be hot. And while they stand by, let them shut the doors and bar them and appoint watches of the inhabitants of Jerusalem, every one in his watch, and every one to be over against his house. Now chapter number 8, if you will, please. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. <clears throat> and Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding, upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein, before the street that was before the water gate, from the morning until midday, before the men and the women, and those that could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose, and beside him stood Mattathiah, and Shema, and Aniah, and Uriah, and Hilkiah, and Messiah on his right hand, and on his left hand, Pediah, and Mishael, and Malchiah, and Hashem, and Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen with lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads, and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. We're going to stop our reading there, but we're going to go on into this chapter as I try to preach to you tonight on revival leadership. Revival leadership. Let's pray. We'll try to get started. <clears throat> Father, we're thankful for the good spirit that's here tonight, for the good crowd. Lord, we're thankful for the opportunity we have had to sing praises unto you and your dear son. And we certainly hope that it was a sweet smell and savor. And now we ask your blessing upon the reading and the preaching of the word of God, that you would do something that only you can do. And Father, we need your power, we need your guidance, clarity of mind, clarity of speech, uh, just that unction that comes from you and the boldness to say the things that need to be said and then the wisdom and discernment uh, to not say the things of which you would not 
have said. Please guide and direct us through this. Open up our hearts and minds to what you have for us tonight. And I pray, Lord, at the correct time that people would respond um, by how, um, with how you would speak to their heart. And we ask all these things and trust you for them in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for standing. Please go right ahead and be seated. When Nehemiah announced his plans to the Jews living in and around the ruined city of Jerusalem, that's found over in chapter 2 and verse number 17, he told them that he wanted to accomplish two, two things. He wanted to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and he wanted to restore the Jews to a place of respect, that Israel might no longer be a reproach to the people. And the opening verses of chapter number 7 affirm that Nehemiah had achieved his first objected uh, objective i mean the wall was was finished the doors were hung security measures were put in place to keep the city safe however the task of making israel respectful again respectable again was far from complete and to accomplish that jerusalem had to be restored to a condition of prosperity a condition of influence once again because God was the one who had brought Israel low, that had humbled her before the nations of the world, and, and who had caused the Jews to be removed into exile, then God was going to have to be the one to lift her up again. God humbled her. God was going to have to lift her up. And so with the walls being, uh, with the walls being built and the gates being hung, what Israel needed more than anything now was the blessing of God. The work was done that man could do. Now they needed that work that only God could do. She needed God to work powerfully, powerfully on her behalf. And that Nehemiah recognized, uh, Nia, Nehemiah, I'm sorry, that Nehemiah recognized that, um, uh, that it was the case, it was evident with what is written in the opening verses of chapter number 7. Um, with the walls complete, Nehemiah made two significant decisions. First, he provided them spiritual leadership, the porters, the singers, the, the Levites, to lead them in the worship of God, because there needs to be worship of God. Say amen. amen. Absolutely. Then he appointed spiritually minded men to help them observe the ways of God, because it's very important that we're also going in the way of God. Uh, a worship service is not any good if we're not going to head the way that God would have us to go after the worship service is over. Absolutely. So, so when Nehemiah sought for men to run the city, at the top of his list were men who feared God. According to verse number two, they feared God and they were faithful. They, they feared God and they were faithful men. And the impact of these decisions was, was immediately evident. Less than one month after the walls were all complete, the people who had worked together to build the walls gathered around together to hear from God. They wanted to hear from God. That's what we go to in chapter number 8. These people wanted to hear from God. And as they stood there before the Lord and they listened to His Word being expounded, God began to work a revival in their hearts. He began to do a work that only He could do. And one of the main reasons why Israel was able to experience revival at that time is that Nehemiah had led them to that place. Nehemiah couldn't bring them revival. 
He just led them to that place of revival. He, he led them to seek God. He, he led them to, to uh, uh, do the things that would cause them uh, to have revival if they would do what God wanted them to do. His leadership had prepared them to seek and to desire God. And there were some real seeds of, of, of revival. They, they assembled before God. Again, uh, chapter 8, verse number 1, all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. To, to, uh, uh, Israel. And so, here was their heart. Get with me right from the start here. Here was their heart. They assembled as one man. Um, they all wanted the same thing. No, very apparently they really had a desire for God. This wasn't just some religious thing they were going through. They wanted God to do something in their midst. And I'm telling you, if we're ever going to see revival at Riverside Baptist Church, I mean, true God-sent revival, it needs to be that way. No, 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 that we finally have this, this, this desire, this, this burning desire for God to do something that we would have to say, only God could do that. Come on, God is still alive. And He's still working. And I do believe He still wants to send revival to His people, to His churches. I, I believe that. And, and these people, they had a submissive heart. On verse number two, it says they assembled together on the first day of the seventh month. And they assembled in that place on that day because that is what God's word said that they were to do. It was a feast uh, of the seventh month. It was a feast. And, and God said that you need to be here. And so they had a submissive heart. And, and so if, if we are going to uh, get what God wants us to have, and we are going to do what God would have us to do, we have to have a submissive heart. I mean, we have to be willing to listen to God and do those things that he would have us to do. Um, I, I think many times that we are, <clears throat> excuse me, many times we are in, pardon me, many times we are in rebellion uh, and that we don't even realize is rebellion but because there are things that God wants us to do that we are just not doing. Okay, I mean, we might try to justify that by whatever means we can justify that. But if we're not doing what God wants us to do, pretty much what the God's Word says is, well, that's rebellion. Okay, thus saith the Lord. Oh, no, I'm not going to do that. Rebel. Rebellion. Come on, black and white. I know, that, I know that in the year 2020, we love to paint gray areas everywhere. We love these gray areas we can step into and not look so bad because, you know, well, preacher, you just, you know, it's the way the times are and, and you know, so much going on and all these different things. And we want to paint these gray areas that we can step into that we don't look so bad. But this book's black and white. I mean, his word's black and white. And so he says, you need to be doing these things. And if we're not doing those things, then it's just not a good thing. We don't have that submissive heart that God would like for us to have. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 24 says this, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, in the first day of the month, shall ye have Sabbath, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, and holy convocation. And so they were doing what God told them to do. They were there on that day. 
Convocation means an assembling by summons. They were summoned to assemble, and assemble so that's what they did. A convocation can also refer to the group of people called together, uh, to, to the group of people called together by summons. So, convocation is the Old Testament equivalent, if you will, to ecclesia. That's the word that, from which we get church. An ecclesia means to assemble by summons. Uh, a, a church is a group of people called together by summons. Um, we don't get together just because it's something that man dreamed up somewhere along the way. We get together because it is what God has for us. That we're not to forsake the assembling, uh, the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is. Uh, but we are to assemble uh, on, on the Lord's day. Look, we have church, we have church each Lord's Day, not merely out of habit, not merely out of social custom or, or even needs, but because God has called us to assemble for worship, He's called us to assemble for instruction, He's called us to assemble for fellowship, and He's called us to assemble for edification. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that uh, we're getting out of this uh, internet church mode Someone was, uh, was, 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 was joking with me this morning, and they said, you know, preacher, I really did like going to church in my pajamas. And then they said, can we have a pajama Sunday? And I said, well, let me pray about that. No. <laughs> Pretty much how that went. Yeah. We get together because God tells us we should get together. It's God's plan. And they had singleness of heart. They gathered together as one man. They came, they came as one man, as one body, re- responsive to one will. I, I mean, that, that, that would be the will of God. Look, the church is the body of Christ. Riverside Baptist Church is the body of Christ. All the body needs to be present when it's time to assemble. Now hold it, hold it because there's some still watching by live stream. And I understand that there is still some concern and all. And so I, as long as that concern is very real, I, I don't expect anyone to put themselves in any type of bad situation. Not whatsoever. But for, for those that can assemble, uh, we should be here. We should be in our place. I, I mean, we, we, we come together as a body. But they came together with hunger. They said, bring the book of the law of Moses. We need to hear from God. This isn't about entertainment. This isn't about just having a time that we can give some uplifting speech where everybody can walk away and feel so good about themselves. We want to hear from God. They wanted to hear from God. They had this hunger. Bring the book of the law of Moses. Jesus said, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. I think sometimes we have, I think at times we lose our hunger for the things of God and we lose our hunger for the word of God because we're so full of the things of this world. Some people lose the hunger for the word of God because they're so full of themselves. It's all about them. It's all about what they want. How they want to be. What they want to do. It's all about whether or not they're happy. Whether or not not they're getting their way. 
But I'm telling you, we need to get back to a place where we're hungering and thirsting after righteousness. And as we do that, and the book is opened up, and we'll tune in. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. But as we do that, I guarantee you, God can do great things in our hearts and lives. For sure. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a Bible commentator, he said this. I love this quote. He said, the world is seeking for happiness. That is the meaning of it's pleasure mania. That's the meaning of everything men and women do, not only in their work, but still more in their pleasures. They are trying to find happiness. They are making it their one objective. But they do not find it because whenever you put happiness before righteousness, you will be doomed to misery. Oh, that's a great quote. We need to get back to seeking righteousness more than we seek happiness. Because if we're seeking righteousness, if we're seeking the righteousness of God, God can supply a joy unspeakable and full of glory. And that's really what we need. We don't need the happiness that this world can provide. We need the joy that only God can provide. It's really impossible to experience revival until God's people have a heart that hungers. Listen to me, please. A heart that hungers to be right with God. You know, it's one thing to come and and, uh, endure a church service. It's one thing to come and endure a message from God. It's one thing to come and do your duty and sit in your place. And I don't take that long, so I guess I'll go ahead and be there. It's one thing to be in your spot. But it's another thing to have a hunger to be right with God. To be right with God. It is possible to be right with God. It, it is possible that we, are, that we know that we're doing what God would have us to do. It, it is possible that we, are, that we are seeking God with our whole heart. It also talks about an attentive, a, attentiveness to God. Verse number 3, and he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday. That, that, always, that always blows my mind because those people stood there for uh, some six hours. <laughs> That's not funny to y'all at all. Anyway, <clears throat> it says, before the men and the women and those that could understand and the ears of the people were attentive unto the book of the law. Now, I want you to get something here, because attentiveness describes an action. And having ears that work does not guarantee that we're really listening. Now, I'll say that again. Having ears that work doesn't mean that we're really listening. Because listening involves concentration. Listening involves thoughtful consideration of what is being said. Take some thinking. And real attentiveness um, shows an attitude. It shows an attitude. Attentiveness to God's Word shows the value that we place on what God has to say. When the Word of God is being preached, and someone is attentive, and they're trying to get everything that God has for them, it shows the value of, 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 of uh, it shows how we value what God has to say. And there are some people that are just absolutely apathetic listeners. What do you mean, preacher? Well, they have no real interest in what's being said. You know, 
I've already heard that before. But it's guaranteed that they'll not get anything from a sermon. They'll not get anything from God. Oh no, they can sit there. Their ears are working. But they're not really listening. Apathetic listeners. And some people are argumentative listeners. What do you mean by that? Well, they question and often even reject what's being said. I mean, those are the ones that like to correct the things that the preacher has to say. I mean, it's like, you know, no, 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 they're too busy analyzing a dissertation to hear what God may be saying to their own heart. Well, I've got my own ideas about that. I'll make me some notes. I'll try to straighten that preacher out after the service is over. Yeah. Argumentative. Instead of just listening to God. God does try to speak to us. He does want to speak to our heart. And then there's some that are aggressive listeners. I mean, they're fighting off all the competing thoughts and distracting circumstances in order to hear and to understand the message. Lord, Lord, speak thy servant heareth. I, I, I want what you have for me. And those are the ones to whom God clearly speaks. Those are the ones that, that walk out of a service knowing that God has dealt with them. Those are the ones that respond at their proper time to respond. They know that God has spoken to their heart. They really are aggressive listeners. And I'm telling you, as hard as the devil works and as wicked as our own flesh is, is we have to we have to learn to be an aggressive listener because it's real easy isn't it to be sitting in a church service and the pastor gets to preaching and pretty soon all you're hearing is some of you are there now aren't you I can tell anyway I'm just kidding I'm just kidding I'm just kidding kind of sort of anyway Here's the point. The more that we value God's Word, the more effort we're going to put into listening to what God has to say. Because it's all about the book. It's all about the Bible. It always pays off, too. It always pays off. No, when we come hungering and thirsting after, after, after righteousness, when, when we truly want to hear from God, God, God just help me to, to, to stay tuned in. I need something from you. I'm telling you, it always pays off. Truly. And then we see the sowing for revival, the, the exposition of God's word. Verse number four, and Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood. Now, don't even get me off on that. Which they had made for the purpose. Beside him stood all these different people. Verse number five, and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he is above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up on down in verse number seven, all these other people about the middle of the verse and the Levites caused the people to understand the law and the people stood in their place. So they read in the book and the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. So there was a reverence for God's word because all the people stood up. I mean, it's like it's time to read God's word. And so they all stood up. You know, the Bible is the Word of God to the point of when the Bible is read, God speaks. Oh, no, no, no. You need to get that, truly. I mean, this is the Word of God. You young people need to get this. This is the Word of God. It doesn't contain the Word of God. It is the Word of God. When the Bible is read, God is speaking. God is speaking through His Word. And standing was a way of showing respect to God 
In the same way people would stand even to honor someone of great accomplishment or somebody of authority, whatever the case may be. And there was a reading of God's Word. It says, so they read. And, and it was read for clarity because it said they read distinctly. And it was read for comprehension because it says that they gave the sense. I, I enjoy preaching the Bible. I enjoy preaching through the Bible. I enjoy when someone, I enjoy listening to someone preach and they get up and they, they preach the Bible. I mean, they, they preach the word and then, and then they preach it distinctly and then they give the sense and this is what God is speaking to us. But it was also read for commitment because it caused them to understand. Well, preacher, that was a good little talk. If you ever want to compliment a preacher, don't say that. <laughs> it's best you don't say that's good. That's a good little talk you gave us. <laughs> it was read for commitment. See, we need to know what the Bible says. And we need to know what the Bible means by what it says. And then we need to know what to do because of what the Bible says. Because it's not just another book. It is the Word of God. And God is trying to give us direction in our lives. You know, the great thing about the Bible is that He can be speaking to one person over here about something and another person over here about something completely different. No, God is very well able to do that. And so there was an expression of gratitude. And praise, verse number 6, And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. There was an acknowledgement of God. It says that Ezra blessed the Lord. Ezra turned attention, please, please stay with me. Ezra turned the attention from himself to God. It's all about God. A, a service is not about a preacher. I'm here to tell you tonight that if all you can see is the, is the preacher while he preaches a message, you have your mind in the wrong place. It's all about God. It's all about the Word that's being preached. It's not about the guy that's preaching it. And, and through public um, praise and public prayer, he magnified God in the sight of the people. That's what we want to do around here. It's not about personalities. It's not about who's standing behind this pulpit. It's about what they're preaching, what they're teaching. It's all about God. It's not about me. It isn't about Brother Andrew. It's all about God. Sure. And there was affirmation of that. I mean, the people said, Amen. Twice. At least twice. Well, what's that all about, preacher? Well, amen, amen is an untranslated word in the Bible. It's the same in any language. In any language. 
It's pronounced a little bit differently in Africa than it is in America, and it's pronounced a little bit differently in Ukraine than it is in America, and it's pronounced differently, I mean, as far as the accent goes, but it's the same in any language. And it, sim- it, simply, it simply means, it is so. Or, uh, that's right. It's an affirmation. Man, you stand up and you quote John 3.16, people go, Amen, preacher, that's right. That is so. Preacher gets to preaching along and he hits something you know it's true. Amen, preacher. That's right. Come on, it's a good affirmation even for our own heart at times, isn't it? And it's certainly a good affirmation for some um, unbeliever that might be sitting in a service. That, hey man, this whole group of people believes what that guy up there is hollering about. That's a good thing. Absolutely. And I've said a lot of times, it doesn't make you any more spiritual, but it helps you stay awake. Amen. Yeah. It's a unique word. But it was given to us by God to express our agreement with truth when that truth is presented. But it goes on with the, there, there's an adoration of the congregation because it said that they bowed their heads and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. That wasn't because of Ezra. That was because of God. God had dealt with them. And they adored him. And they bowed their heads. Come on, this, this, wasn't some, this wasn't some showy thing. These people, they came hungering after what God had for them. And, and the word of God was read. And I mean, I mean it, it was working on them. Psalm 95 verse 6 says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. I don't believe we should ever get so former that we can't kneel before the maker. I don't believe that we should ever get so, I don't believe that we should ever get so, um, so consumed with self that we can't worship and bow down before the maker. And we see some real signs of revival. Verse number nine in Nehemiah, which is the Tershatha or the governor and Ezra, the priest, the scribe and the Levites that taught the people said unto all the people, this day is holy unto the Lord, your God, more not, nor we. And we have to take note of this line, for all the people wept. Preacher, were they crying because he'd been preaching six hours? (laughs) I don't think so. It says all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. How long has it been since the Bible has affected you that way? Surely there's been times since you've been saved that you read the Word of God and it became so real to you that it just broke your heart. Even if you were just reading the Psalms and the adoration of our great God, thinking about the wonderful salvation that He has given. It just caused tears to run down your cheek. With them, it was an expression of guilt. I think there was some sorrow because of the sins that they had committed. 
No, I'm talking about the things that they had been doing that they shouldn't have been doing, and of course the things that they should have been doing that they weren't doing. An expression of guilt. They were heartbroken. It had been so long, it was like, man, oh man. I, I can't believe I've been doing that. And Lord, as I hear your word, I, I know there needs to be a change in my life. And God, I know I should have been doing that all along and I haven't been doing it. And I'm so, I, I'm, 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 I'm just guilty in your sight. It was also an expression of grief. I mean, they sorrowed because of what sin had cost them. I mean, they were led into captivity because of their sin. They they had a loss of God's blessings for a time in their lives because of sin. And so they were grieving. Look what this cost us. Look what this has done to our lives. And they wept. Because God had spoken clearly to them. I have to say that I've not always been real um, thrilled in a church service where I was sitting there listening to preaching and God spoke very clearly to me about things in my life that needed to be taken care of. And not thrilled about going to an altar, altar broken and, and the tears flowing and the hot tears coming down my cheeks because I knew that I had been involved in things that I shouldn't or I knew that I hadn't been doing what God would have me to do. I can't say that that was real thrilling to me while it was going on. But there's something about allowing God to work on us that way. That some time of, stay with me here, that some time spent with God and doing our best to get our lives, our hearts right with Him there's something about that that brings great joy not while it's going on but after things are settled We hold on to stuff for so long because we want it. We want to. We're not giving it up. We're going to do this. I'm doing this. Preacher don't know. Nobody knows. I'm doing this. I'm going to church. Everything's fine. It's not like it's a big deal. Everything's just fine. And then God speaks to our heart about it, even in a church service. And we know that we really need to take action. We know we need to repent of those things. We know that those things are not right with God. We know that there's some things that need to change in our life. But we ain't moving. And we go on and on, and I mean day after day, week after week, month after month, sometime even year after year, and we're just living that life, and it doesn't matter. We're coming to church, putting a little money in the plate. I mean, we're singing some songs. It's not like I'm hurting anybody. This is fine, just me, and God understands, and all the dumb excuses that we make. 
When truly, if we would just get down to that place of confessing that we're not right with God, confessing, no, no, I'm talking about confessing to God. Lord, I know I'm not right. I know I'm not right with you because I'm not right with my fellow man. I know I'm not right with you because I've been doing things I shouldn't do. I know I'm not right with you because there are some things I should be doing I haven't been doing. I know that I'm not right with you because my, my whole world isn't what it should be. I know, but I mean, we won't take the time to go ahead and confess those things to God. I, I mean, I mean, with the brokenness, Lord, Lord, I know I need to be in the right place. I'm telling you, when we will get serious with God, God will get serious with us. And no matter how hard it might be to even confess that to you, to, to your God, confess that even to yourself. Sometimes we just don't want to admit that we aren't right with God. But when we will do that with all sincerity, it brings joy after it's done. Now we see it here, verse number 10. Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared, for this day is holy. Unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites stilled all the people, saying, Hold your peace, for the day is holy. Neither be ye grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make great mirth or merriment because they had understood the words that were declared unto them. I want you to get this. Come on, come on. I want you to get this. A right heart with God is a rejoicing heart. Rejoicing heart. You know what I love about trying to be right with God, and I'm not standing up here acting pious and like I'm just like I'm going just perfect and all that. But you know what I like about trying to be right with God and really working to be right with God day after day. You know, what I, one of the many things I love about it is that I, I mean, I'll be I'll be doing some work, I'll be doing something, I'll be driving somewhere, whatever the case, and all of a sudden this music starts coming out of my mouth. Now, really, it's coming out of my heart, where it's coming from. But all of a sudden, I'm singing a hymn. I mean, all of a sudden, it's kind of like, man, here it comes. And, and, and no, 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 no. And it's not like, oh, you're just trying to be super spiritual. No, no, no. I mean, it just comes. You know, it's a normal thing. Instead of driving down the road and, 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 and I mean just tied up with all the cares of the world and all these things and troubles and trials and I don't know and it just doesn't and all these things. Oh no, I'm telling you, no, even when, no, no, even when things may not all be going right around me, it's like, here comes this music out of my mouth. I, I know, I know, you've heard me sing, some of you wouldn't call it music, I understand that, but it just comes out of a heart. That's trying to be right with God. Only God can do something like that. I know that's not coming out of Bill Marshall. I know who Bill Marshall is. A, a right heart is a rejoicing heart. We, we sorrow over our failures, abs- failures, absolutely so. But we rejoice in God's forgiveness. God forgives us. We confess our sin. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
That should make anybody happy. We weep for our sins and we rejoice in our Savior. What a great God. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying that a heart broken by God is the prelude of a heart blessed by God. And so they did some rededication. Now look at verse number 13. And on the second day were gathered together, the chief of the fathers of the people and the priests and the Levites, unto Ezra the scribe, even to understand the words of the law. And they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded by Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in booths in the feast of the seventh month, and that they should publish and proclaim in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Excuse me, go forth unto the mountain, fetch olive branches and pine branches and myrtle branches and palm branches and branches of thick trees to make booths, as it is written. So the people went forth and brought them and made themselves booths, every, every one upon the roof of his house and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the street of the water gate and in the street of the gate of Ephraim and all the congregation of them that were come again out of captivity made booths and sat under the booths. For since the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, unto that day had not the children of Israel done so. And there was very great gladness. Also day by day, from the first day unto the last day, he read in the book of the law of God, and they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day was a solemn assembly according to the manner. And so there was a rededication. There was a, there was a submission. Come on, stay with me. There was a submission to God's word. So they come together for the second day of the meeting, and they begin to read, and they figured out there was something they should be doing that they weren't doing. Through the reading of God's Word, they discovered an area, an area that they had long neglected. It says here that God wants us to go out and gather branches and make booths. We're supposed to make booths, preacher? Well, you know, as we read, that's what it says. Well, we haven't been doing that. I mean, we've been in captivity and all these things, and this is the first time we've assembled, and, and, but we're supposed to make booths. Well, that's what the Word of God says. Oh, well, okay. Well, okay. After we make these booths, what do we do? Uh, it says you're supposed to sit in them. Well, okay, let me get this straight. The Word of God says we're to make a booth and we're supposed to sit in it. Yes. Huh. Well, does it give plans how to make those booths? It just says to gather up these branches and make you a booth. Huh. Well, boy, booth. Well, okay. That's what we'll do. No, no, no. There was obedience. God says we're supposed to make booths. Well, that's stupid. How's a booth going to help anything? I've got more important things to do than to make a booth. Oh, but God says we're supposed to make booths. Well, I, I know what the Bible says, but I'm telling you, I've got a life to live. I can probably think, I'm, no, 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 I can probably make, I can probably find things going to make me a lot happier than building a booth. You know, you do just go ahead and do whatever you think you need to do, but I, you know, I don't see any, it just doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. Build a booth. You know what I found out about the Word of God and what He tells us to do? A lot of it does not initially make good sense. Oh, somebody should have said amen right there. What God wants us to do 
considering the world we live in, a lot of it doesn't make good sense. But what I've also discovered is that if we just simply obey, that it's always, 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 always better than not obeying. Always. So what these people do, they went out and they gathered up all these branches and all these different branches and palms and all these different things and they made boots. Well, what did they do then? They sit in them. <laughs> well, a lot of good that did. I, I mean, you know, what did that? They're probably really disgusted about that. Well, that's not the Word of God says. The Bible says, and there was very great gladness. Let me get this right, preacher. Uh, they're listening to the preacher, and the preacher says, the Word of God says that you need to go up and gather up all these branches and make booths. Okay, preacher. And then once you make the booth, that you're supposed to sit under the booth. Oh, okay, preacher. So they take off and they do it. They do it. They go out and they gather up all these branches, people all over the place. It said they were all over the place, different places. They built them, and they built these booths, and then they sat under them because that's what God said to do. Build a booth and sit in it. Oh, oh okay. All right. Well, this just seemed like a waste of time. It doesn't say that anywhere. It said that they did exactly what God wanted them to do, and there was... It could have just said there was gladness. That would have been a big deal. It could have said there, there was great gladness. That would have been a bigger deal. But it doesn't even say that. It says there was very great gladness. I have to believe that these people were happy. You know why they were happy? No, no, very simple. They did what God told them to do. You know why a lot of people are unhappy? Because they absolutely refuse to do what God would tell them to do. And a lot of them can't even figure out why they're unhappy. Because they're just doing what they want to do. And I don't see why, I don't see why it doesn't work for me the way it works for them and all these things. Well, you know, maybe others are doing what God would have them to do and you're not. And people seem to think that they can find the way of happiness their own way. I'll do it my way and I'll just I'll find happiness my own way. I'm telling you, it's a lot easier if you just let God do it. I'll say it again. It's a lot easier if you'll just listen to God and do what God wants you to do. I guarantee you. No, no, no. He said that He would give you gladness. Why do we fight that? Goes against our nature, doesn't it? We want to be in control. I know what I like, and I don't like building booths. Well, God said to build a booth. Don't care. Okay, let's bring it to New Testament times. God says that we're to forgive. I'm not going to forgive. God says, if you'll forgive, you know, you can have the joy of the Lord. I'm not, you know, I'm not. Gonna. Okay, stay miserable. No, 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 there, there, there's a lot of commandments like that. 
that if we'll just do what God would have us to do. But we're so determined to do things our own way. We're so determined. And then we wonder why we can't have the joy of the Lord. We, we wonder why we don't have great gladness. We, we, we wonder why things aren't working for us the way that we would hope that they would work. I mean, it's not like I'm not a, a good person. I'm a good person and I, I have a lot of good projects and I do things for other people and all these things. And why am I so miserable? Well, I don't know. I mean, maybe you ought to ask God. What is that simple thing that he wants you to do that you're not doing? Look, anybody can build a booth. And there is not one command in that Bible that anybody in here cannot do because God doesn't give us stuff we cannot do with his help. Preacher, I'd really like to see revival break out in our country. I'd really like to see revival break out in our own home, my own life. I'd really like to see revival. Listen to God. No, even the smallest details. Listen to God. Just be willing to do what He says to do. They went out and just did what God said to do and discovered genuine happiness. I mean, the blessedness that comes from... Listen to me, listen to me, I'll write it down. The, the blessedness that comes from hungering and thirsting after God. When we get to that place where we want God more than we want anything else. It's something to think that it's something to think that this revival really wasn't a planned experience. But it was a result of uh, just purposeful spiritual leadership. They had these leaders that got before them and they said, here's what God says. This is what we should do. They read the book. They expounded it to the people. The Jews experienced the revival they did because a, a, a good spiritually minded servant of the people of God got up and said, here's what God says to do. And they did it. No, no, they, they didn't do it for him. They did it for him. Because it's what God said. He, he led them in ways designed for their good and God's glory. He just pretty much got up and said, this is the way God wants you to go. This is what God wants you to do. This is how God would have you to be. And they said, okay, that's what we'll do. And as they followed his leadership, 
they were moved along the path of God's purpose. Stay with me. And they arrived at a place of revival. Very great gladness. My my heart's desire as your pastor is that by the time that our revival meeting starts on July the 12th, that we'll already be experiencing revival in our hearts. Not only in our hearts, but in our homes and families, which means the church. And I know I can't bring revival to you. I know that. I spent all those years on the road as an evangelist preaching for revival. And I didn't carry revival into one of those churches. Only God can do that. And only God can do that as His people just yield. But I'm going to do my best with God's help to lead you in the way of revival. And I can tell you that if you'll sincerely seek God and come to church services with a a heart ready to worship and listen attentively to what God has to say, listen, I'm, I'm done, and then respond to His prompting, I believe we can see Him do things for which no man can take credit. And that's my big prayer. I don't want any credit for it. The Bible says God doesn't share His glory. I don't want any of it. I mean, really and truly, that revival, shouldn't that be the desire of all of us? To be thoroughly right with God. To have a very great gladness. Revival leadership. The next weeks ahead, we'll be preaching some on revival. I'm going to ask you to just be praying and ready to respond, whatever God might have you to do. He might ask you to build a booth. You don't know. Whatever he wants, you'll not go wrong doing it. That's for sure. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Bible. Lord, we're thankful for the direction it gives us. We're thankful for your precious spirit that speaks to our heart. We're thankful that you give us clear direction. And you do. As we listen, as we're attentive, and we hear from you, you give us clear direction. It's right there in the book. We're thankful, Lord, that as we do respond and as we do yield, that you can do exceeding abundantly above all we would ask or think. Our church, after a time of being apart, I believe we just need revival. We need you to do something in our lives that only you can do. And So even tonight, Lord, as we open up the altars, we pray that your people would respond, that your will would be done,
Father, please do what we can't. We pray and thank you for it in Jesus' name. Let's stand to our feet. Folks are already at the altar. You need to come. Why don't you step out? Don't wait. You know you need something from God. From God. Why don't you come down and talk to Him about it? No, you know you need revival. Your Christian life is not what it should be. And you know it. It's evident. Let God have His way. Come down to this old altar. Make an altar where you are. But let God have His way. Could be the start of something good in your life. Your spiritual walk. Your family. Be a wonderful thing.